I was in Trader Joe's a couple of weeks ago, and I saw this toddler who was maybe, you know, two and a half, three, and he was just the sheer embodiment of confidence. He marches up to his parents and announces, I'll just go ahead and take what I need, which cracked me up. Of course, his parents responded with, no, uh, you know, in horror, but uh, I just love that this two-year-old, he had things that he needed and not wanted. Oh, no, he needed them. And uh, that made me just instantly fall in love with him. Oh, hello, folks. It's me, Dale, looking at the clock, and it's 4 a.m. This is our time. The Gowanus is at rest. The moon waning. And I'm so pleased to be back with you. Your ears, beautifully shaped, are the perfect receptacle for a brand new episode of Dale Radio, a show about characters and the creative process. This is the initial offering of our eighth season, a season in which we aim to be your companions through the deep night. The part of the evening between night and day, the only people up at this hour have had too much alcohol or not enough caffeine. It's a time of bad decisions, regrets, and just possibly once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. These pre-dawn moments are often the times when you you meet the most interesting characters, don't you? All over this country, you might be in a steakhouse in Minneapolis and minding your own business when a fellow named Ron, just in from Omaha, saddles up next to you and begins a conversation telling you all about his experiences trying to get to the World Series during the Loma Prieta earthquake. Well, that's what this show is like. We're just saddling up to you, and we're finding an interesting character. Maybe you're in a haunted honky-tonk just across the state line with a woman named Deb who has smoker's cough and a bedazzled sweatshirt with a heart of gold. There's gold on her sweatshirt, but also her heart is, is, is pure, and she, she only means the best for you. Or maybe, maybe you're you're having a couple of uh, highballs down there, a couple of old fashions, a couple of sidecars in a basement in New Jersey, hashing things out with a traveling vacuum salesman who you'll send Christmas cards to for the rest of your life, but never see in person again. Those are the kind of people, you know. Those are the kind of conversations that we're going to try and bring. We're going to try and convey. We're going to try to stimulate to represent here all season long from the foul banks of the Gowanus, from our headquarters overlooking the garbage truck fleet of Brooklyn, New York. We're going to be uh, talking to folks, uh, having conversations like the kind you have late at night, conversations that are unexpected with individuals who are themselves marvelous characters. But in this case, we'll also be talking to people who are responsible for creating strong, unique, unusual, powerful characters for the stage page, and screen. These are people who inspire me, and I'm so happy to be able to share their stories with you. Now, the keen listener among you will have noticed that that was not my voice at the top of the program, no. Well, I've asked talented people from around the country to send in audio clips describing some of their favorite characters. It might be a person they see on on the street. It might be just an observation that we have. We all have characters, though, that influence us throughout the day. We encounter them throughout our lives. Some characters are real, and others 
are made up, well, I want to know about them. Maybe you you had a scout leader who laughed too much at the wrong places. Or maybe uh, there's a woman who who always brought you waffles and had a a funny T-shirt or something. And uh, maybe she smoked cigars on her break out there behind the Waffle House. Or maybe you were just fond of Becky Perez and accounts receivable. Or, Or you loved anything Ted Knight ever did. We all have people who shaped our experiences, and that's what I'm interested in. Interested in experience. Exploring that. People who have touched us, maybe even for a brief moment, we hope not inappropriately, uh, but they've left a mark on us. They become inspiration for stories. Becky Perez in Accounts Receivable uh, might be going to Sundance as a short film. You understand, it's a kernel of an idea that becomes a tweet, or maybe it becomes a character that is then used in an improv show that spins off into a web series which lands a TV deal and then a Peabody Award. And what I'm saying is eight seasons, folks. Eight seasons, and I'm still here, still podcasting. You know who probably looks at people and observes them? Julianne Moore. She's like a vampire, I bet, when it comes to that, just sucking up character traits to be used later. And you think, hey, that's Julianne Moore, when you see her on the subway, and you're startled uh, for a moment, you know, and you think, oh, well, I don't know how to even, how do I hold my hands? But then you notice she's not looking away, like she's studying your life essence. Flash forward a few years, and you pay $14 for a movie ticket, and you hope you don't get bed bugs when you sit down in the seat. And you say, well, why? Why the heck not? It's my treat day, so yes to a box of raisinets. That's a feminine raisin, by the way. And, uh, boy, <laughs> and uh, then you sit in there for about 20 minutes or so, terrific previews. I love them. What else you have making for me, Hollywood? I want options, short, bombastic options. I find a medley of explosions clears the mind and prepares me for some great work by Oscar-winning filmmakers. Anyway, who pops up on the screen but Julianne Moore, and you're watching, you think, wait a minute, it's a little weird that she's doing that thing with her eyebrow and that comb-over looks pretty familiar. Why does she drink so much but say she's cutting back and, hey, she has a podcast? I'm saying avoid her. Just avoid Julianne Moore at all costs. What she's doing is like taking a Polaroid of an Amish person, but for all of us, just slipping away with our souls. You know, somewhere outside of Intercourse, Pennsylvania, someone has a photo album full of Amish souls. The soul keeper, he's probably called. Maybe, or she. Could be a she. They could do it, too. The point is, like Julianne Moore, we are aware of little things. Comedians certainly are. Some uh, artists, all of us, really. We all have the potential to be. Uh, sometimes we get busy. But we, we, if you open up your mind and, you, and your eyes and you, you start picking up on things, well, it can overwhelm very quickly. But the point is, that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in that. I collect them a little bit as I go through my day, and maybe you do too, and I want to hear from you. Today's audio character portrait was from Chicago comedian Juliana Brecker. Follow her on Twitter at heart underscore Brecker, B-R-E-C-H-E-R. And be sure to check out her work if you're in the Windy City. Uh, I gather she performs around town. She's a rising star on the scene there. That's what she is, our Juliana. And she's got a web series. Well, good for you. Juliana, that's fantastic. Uh, Coming out soon, um, uh, we almost thought, oh, maybe we have enough web series, but nope, we needed one more. And she's got it. It's called Heartbreak. So you see what she's doing there. 
like heartbreak. And that's going to, that's what it's going to be about all the different ways in which we experience heartbreak. So, uh, ch- tune in for that if you, if you can. And if you have a story you'd like to say, if you have a, by the way, how about that kid that she's talking about? Man, we've all been with that one, huh? You see, you've seen that one at Trader Joe's. You go up to here to Trader Joe's, you see a kid like that, and they give him stickers. Uh, you say precocious, I say no thank you. It's the reason I didn't want to have children in the first place. Anyhow, that's ended the relationship, and I'm past it. We're moving on. But if you have a story you'd like to tell, you have a character you want to talk to me about, uh, you just uh, do, do it real quick. Send it as an audio file to me. Uh, keep it brief. Uh, send it to me at daleradio.gmail.com. You might get on the program. No promises, though, just like in relationships. No promises. And uh, two other folks who have helped me out this season. This is great. I'm so thrilled that they're they're here and that they could, they could support the program. They're also characters. I gotta tell you, but Chris Shockwave Sullivan, Shockwave, he composed and performed the season eight theme song. How about that? Isn't that something? Shockwave. I mean, he's among the best in the business. Absolutely. I'm honored to feature his take on the theme. And uh, Shockwave has a new podcast himself, Getting Into the Fray, seeing how lucrative it is. Not enough money in beatboxing, so he's jumping over in the podcast. And after you listen to this uh, show, go on over to headgum.com. That's a new podcast collective. Or, or go to iTunes. Locate Shock and Awesome. That's what his show is called. And I gather it's going to be just that awesome. So, uh, yes, tune in. Launching this week and then every week after that. I guess, uh, forever, because podcasting is a lifelong commitment. Chris, I hope you're ready for that. I hope you understand that. Also, if you've seen the new podcast icon for the season, that's from the talented illustrator, designer, Jenny Fine. Jenny lives out in Los Angeles, the city of broken dreams, and she's done some amazing work for our friends Pete Holmes and Nerdist and the Radio Picture Show. Look her up online. It's uh, fantastic work. She's fantastic. I'm happy to have her uh, uh, work included in the season. And, uh, boy, she really got my likeness down, didn't she? And most importantly, that's the same microphone. It's always floating near my head. Now, uh, uh, we're talking about characters. Talking about characters. New York City this week was visited by one of the best. I'm not talking about the P.O.P.E. No, this little fellow required no lane closures, no emails from HR about taking time off to avoid a papal commute. No, this little one just going about their business. An absolutely true New Yorker. I'm talking, of course, about a national hero, Pizza Rat. You see this little rodent? You see this film? Somebody had a flip camera or something, documented this thing. He's in the subway trying to get somewhere, and he's dragging a slice. Not a piece, not some little hangnail of cheese, but a full-on slice, probably a dollar slice from the corner place. He's dragging the thing down the stairs. I bet he's on his way to an open mic. Just left one. He's on his way to another one. He's got his name in the hat for a moth storytelling event. This video is the greatest thing. It's the most poetic description of what it's like to be a citizen in New York City. Dorothy Parker would have loved this rat. I'm telling you, the video should be on the Jumbotron in Times Square. It should play at Ellis Island when the people come in. It should play on an infinite loop at LaGuardia and JFK for new arrivals to the city. Thinking about moving here? you got to watch Pizza Rat. Pizza Rat is us, and we are Pizza Rat. Now, he even loses a slice halfway down the stairs, but then goes back. We've all eaten pizza off the subway floor. We have to. We're New Yorkers. Put Pizza Rat on the flag. Do we have a flag? Because it needs to have Pizza Rat on it. It's like the opening sequence of Louie or the Whitney Museum. Essentially, New York. I'm in love with this little fella, if you can't tell. 
So today, who are we talking to? Who has the honor of being the first guest on uh, the brand new season of Dale Radio? Well, I wanted to start the season off strong, and I did. We certainly do that with a conversation with David F. Walker. He's a comics creator, writer, filmmaker, and a keen cultural observer. His zine and website, badassmofo.com. That's two Zs if you're writing it down. If you're, if you're keeping a journal of all the websites mentioned on the program, it's two Zs. And uh, well, that, that uh, particular effort has long tracked and unpacked black identity as reflected in popular culture. His book, Becoming Black, a collection of personal essays on the subject, is very poignant and uh, uh, just a, it's a funny, a humorous read, and, and just he's got a great mind on him. And uh, it's well worth picking that up. You can do it on the Kindle. Just do that. It's like a book, but uh, you plug it in. And uh, currently he's busy writing a slew of comics for both DC and Marvel, the two big ones. But uh, being partial to the fine folks of the distinguished competition, I chose to focus on his work for DC, uh, a title called Cyborg. So let me just preface this discussion. Maybe you don't know who Cyborg is. Probably a decent chance. This is probably the most in-depth conversation about the superhero Cyborg that has ever happened outside of a basement full of Teen Titans cosplayers. It is thorough. I don't often talk about my early experiences with uh, comic books on this program, uh, but uh, we get into some of that. Here's some of the... Now, I've walked away for a bit. That's what happens. People know that my niece Katrina is an avid reader, and we just got Baby Pepsi, her first Wonder Woman comic. Oh, she's wild about that. It's the Statue of Liberty fighting Wonder Woman. It's just fantastic. Uh, Wonder Woman wins. (laughs) So who should have a statue in their honor? What I'm saying is uh, sometimes... You know, as a young person, you buy the comic books, but then as you get older, uh, different expenses come in. You have food, you have divorce settlements, and you don't have as much money left over to buy the comic books. Anyhow, uh, I've I've often just ducked back in, just put what's what's happening in the comic book shop, and uh, I'll pick one up, leaf through it, and see it, and uh, get a sense. It's like soap operas, you know. You watch one episode of Guiding Hope in 1988, and you tune in again in a sick day in 97. You say, "Well, what's Nurse Betty up to?" Oh, she's been abducted by an Egyptian pharaoh, reincarnated, and she's married her twin brother. Well, it's just like comic books, you know. They got strange things going on, but basically the characters just keep keep on going. And uh, a comic character's come a long way is Cyborg, and that's thanks to David Walker and the support of DC. Cyborg, who is he? He's Vic Stone. That's who he is. An African-American all-star football champion in Detroit, he ends up being attacked by some kind of interdimensional monster. Ah, well, be careful. If you're an all-star running back in Detroit, uh, they say Detroit is back, but we know that interdimensional demons lurk behind every $500 home, so slow your jets there, Washington Post. Uh, New York Times features story on about the uh, revitalization of Detroit. And Vic, Vic is he's badly injured in this uh, uh, skirmish with the demon, and uh, he's put back together by his genius father using the latest in robotic technologies. It's a $6 million man, but, but black, and his robotic parts are not concealed. You know, you, you meet that, that guy, the bionic man, you wouldn't know that anything had happened to him unless he slow motion jumps over a, a, a low fence or something, or if he shakes your hand and you say, how you doing there? Nice to meet you, million dollar man. Yeah! You know, ease up on the handshake is probably, he, he does, he, I don't think he's aware of his own strength. You know, just in a, he might pick up a cup and just, you know, crush it. Oh, I just wanted a smoothie. Well, now the smoothie's on the floor, six million dollar man. How do you feel about that? But not with, not with Vic Stone, not with Cyborg. He, he, half of them's robot, you can tell. You just see, oh, something happened to you. You're, you're robot on the on on half your body. 
Sometimes it's it's his sh- maybe sometimes his shoulders are exposed. Sometimes just his chest. It changes a little bit as different artists portray him. But you 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 run into him, you know something went down because half of his face is obscured. Okay, it's robot. You're like, oh, okay, half robot guy, uh, and you you wouldn't um, you'd still feel kind towards him. You still treat him with respect. But I'm saying you'd know right away. And uh, you just need to know that because, look, it's a pretty obscure character. But we use this character, who is wonderful, is full of potential, to, to talk about race in comics, in comic books, in pop culture, while also getting to know this individual, the terrifically talented David Walker. David lives in Portland, Oregon, and we sat down in the Ace Hotel out there. You like shared bathrooms? Ace thinks you do. And uh, good coffee, though. Oh, boy, there's a lot of good coffee. I had uh, maybe 17 cups by the time I sat down with David uh, just that morning. It was great. Um, more on what's been going on for me at a, a future episode. <laughs> I can tell you it involves Chinese herbs, Tylenol cold, and a lot of shoulder sweating. I don't know why that's happening to me. My shoulders are experiencing menopause. Just flop sweat on the shoulders. Showing up uh, with a lot of strange stains at meetings. But uh, anyhow, stay tuned. Real cliffhanger for you. I know how to tease tease a show, don't I? Gosh, stay tuned. But now let's get to my conversation with David Walker, a great guy, and uh, he's in a city full of great talent, and uh, he really stands out. And I'm happy to have had a chance to talk to him. David Walker, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, uh, we're here at the at one of the hippest hotels, aren't we? In Portland. We don't have to name it. <laughs> no, but it's, it is pretty hip. There's a line of hipsters. They're all wearing tight jeans, and they've got unironic mustaches. And even the ladies. Even the ladies. Yeah. And we're so jacked up on caffeine. Yeah. I tell you how many nitro cold brews I've had just today. Okay, I was say, have you had those? Oh my! Everything's tingling. <laughs> it's so great. And for breakfast here, you sit at a communal table and you eat some kind of fish with a very thick bread. Yeah, it's that's uh, that's hip. This is yeah. This I I don't live in this part of town. Good for I, you. I like have to have a passport to get over here. <laughs> like it's like the, the equivalent to. Uh, the letters of transit from Casablanca. That's what I have to, had to have to meet you here. But I, I got them. So. But now, do you, we, it's easy to pick on the hipsters. Yes, it but, is. But <laughs> uh, they make it easy. Uh, we make it easy. But do you find that it's insufferable, the kind of changes? Because you've been in Portland a long time. Um, yeah, it, it actually has become insufferable. It's not so much, <laughs> <laughs> not so much the hipsters per se, but um, like I was talking to some friends and, and I'm getting to a point where I'm about to be priced out of where I live. Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm a renter, not an owner. And I'm probably at an age where I should be an owner, but it's a case of arrested development. We don't need to get into that. <laughs> we all make choices. <laughs> exactly. But, um, yeah, so there, there, there is part of that. That's part of it where it's like, okay, wait a sec. I remember when I could afford to live here. I remember when there was a greater sense of community, but now there's, it's, it's a lot of people have just been displaced over the last like 10, 12 years. So yeah, there's a little bitterness, cynicism. Uh, if we, we might, we're just scratching the surface. We don't need to get too deep. <laughs> All right. But now you're also, uh, you said like 30 years or so you've been here. More than that. Yeah. I moved here in 1980. So yeah, 35 years. Yeah, you get I was in, I was in junior high, so I'm older than most people think. <laughs> Well, but you're part of a, a kind of a comic book scene here. 
Yeah, there is. There's Man, definitely a comic book scene. There's actually there's enough people here in the comic book industry that there's actual scenes plural. Like there's actually Within. there's like clicks probably. Oh. I think you could call it that. So um, yeah, I, I am part of the community and 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 because I've been here so long, I think I've sort of been grandfathered in to most of them where, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm like that guy in high school who was friends with the jocks and yep. then friends with the nerds and then friends with the kids in band. And so that's kind of how I am even within the comic scene. Yeah, so. See, I knew we'd get along because I'm the same way. Yeah. I knew the folk and it just, you, you, I'm friends with all of them. You go to the reunion, I know everybody yeah. from different levels, <laughs> you know, from different parts of my life, but I, I knew them all. And uh, it was okay. And the people that are out here, who's your, who's your crew? You got Bendis, <laughs> Fraction, yeah, where's Gail Simone? Yeah. Well, Gail Simone's out on the coast. She's so, in the, she's in the boonies somewhere. Yeah, she's like way out there in the sticks. So I, I only see her at conventions. Um, but there's you know Bob Shrek is here. He's now an editor at Legendary, but he's been at DC and Dark Horse and Oni and Kamiko. So he goes way back. And Bendis, Mike Oming, Matt Fraction, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Greg Rucka, Jen Van Meter. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean those. Uh, I hate that. Like, I feel like, oh, whoops, I dropped a bunch of names. Um, those, those are, like, amongst the people that I probably socialize with the most that I'm closest with. But then there's a lot of other people that, um, like, there's an artist, Matthew Clark. I was just hanging out with him the other day. Paul Guinan, who doesn't, um, he's not doing comics as much as he used to, but he's still a comic artist. Uh, his wife, Anina Bennett, she's a writer, former editor at Dark Horse. I mean, like, again, I like, I know all these people. So, and, and, and they're all friends of mine, you know, they're all, um, a lot of them are people who came here, uh, to work for Dark Horse at one point or another. A lot of, I should say a lot of the people that I've known for a long time. Um, and they've been affiliated with Dark Horse in one capacity or another. Dark Horse is so. a comic publisher. Yes. Yes. Independent comic. Uh, yeah, say, yeah, I guess you'd say independent. I mean, they, at some point they were right. Yeah, no? they, they. I mean, they they definitely publish stuff that, um, you know, they publish some licensed stuff. Like when I think independent, I think like me, like <laughs> like I got to pull out the ATM card at Kinko's okay. to print it up. So they're like a th- like they were like Fox. Uh, with that network, like a fourth network. Yeah, or they're like a um, like Miramax before Miramax got bought That's by that. Disney. Right. So okay. We got them. And hello to our friends at Dark Horse. Uh, uh, so, uh, but you were here first, just for the record. Uh, I don't know if I was here <laughs> first. First, I mean, uh, the Pander brothers were here. I think they were born and raised here. And um, there's there's a few other people that, that have got me beat that have been mm-hmm. here longer. Um, but I, I'm definitely I've, I've been here longer than Starbucks, which which <laughs> is like a huge feather in my cap. Like like. Um, Pretty much any building that's over 12 stories tall, like, I was here before 75% of those were built. You know, I was here, like, like when, a, when a 15-story building was like, like, wow, let's go downtown and look at the big buildings. Uh, I've been here that long, so. Oh, it's impressive. Yes. And, uh, and there's a great deal I want to talk to you about, uh, sort of comics and beyond, but mm-hmm. let's start with comics, as we kind of have already, uh, because that's how I got to know your work. And uh, I'm wondering, if for you know, for me... Uh, comics uh, for meant a great deal to me as a young person. Was that also the case with you, or was was it more uh, movies? It was it was a combination of the two. But uh, I mean, I've been like reading comics, and we say reading with air quotes around it um, since actually before I could technically read. So looking at the pictures, uh, my first comic, I think I, I I always get the year confused, but I think it was like 
my mom got it for me in like 71 or 72. So I would have been like, uh, if it was 71, I would have been about three and a half, four years old when she pretty, got that. Pretty young. Yeah. Um, and it was an issue of Batman, which at the time, the, the live action show was in syndication. So I was like obsessed with Batman as a kid. And, and so that, you know, that obsession with Batman and then her getting me my first comic book and then like... It was all over for me in terms of that. So, <laughs> but um, now you were drawn to the television show. Yes, uh, uh, that Batman. Yes, which is kind of a specific Batman. Yeah. But uh, at that same time in the comics, what was going on? Were they actively working against that at that point, or they hadn't gotten there yet? They, was it still the hotline could pick up and uh, call into Batman? And uh, this was right before the. Um, like the heyday of the Neil Adams stuff, like when you know, it predates uh, yeah, that. Yeah, the predate, but just barely. Right, and and so um, which which we should just say it's where he took a kind of urban gritty t- yeah. Uh, turn, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to be the Dark Knight. Exactly. That's that's yeah. That's a really good point. Is that's right around the time that that really started happening. You know, leading up to eighty six. And, and and I'm not one of those guys who knows the years or issue numbers or anything. So it's like there's a handful of comics I can I, I remember the specific issue number when it came out. But then there's the other ones. I'm like, oh yeah, I think this issue of Daredevil is the one where Bullseye killed Electra. But I can't remember. You know, my friends are looking at me like it's Daredevil 181. So that one I actually remember. But yeah, uh, so I'm making myself out to be a liar right here right now. But that's okay. okay. This is a safe space. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do. I, my my mother uh, brought. She had one of her own own comics, I guess. Uh, Spider Man. Okay. And then there were a couple of neighbor kids that lived in a farm. And you go in there, and the beds were lit up on platforms, not unlike that bed, but the platforms just all comics. Uh, okay. All comics, and of course they had doubles because it was two of them. Yeah. And they gave me a, a Doctor Strange. Okay. Uh, Fantastic Four. Okay. Where they got to go into some microverse or okay. something. Oh, yes, the microverse. I still have no idea with Doctor Strange what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> Subatomica, I think, is where they okay. had to go. And uh, uh, Fantastic Four. Yeah. It's hard to get right. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and then a Doom Patrol. Okay. Oh, wow. You so ever read any of those? Um, like the 60s and 70s? They did a, um, they relaunched it a few. I want to say a few years ago. It's probably more than that. It's Keith every Giffen, couple of years. Yeah, Keith Giffen was writing it. Matt Clark was drawing it. That was I, I got some of those, um, and then it seems to me like there was. I, so I have read the Doom Patrol. Yes, that's yeah. the, that's the, the that's the pro- proper answer. I could not tell you the issues or <laughs> you don't have to do that. But that period of time, it was wild. Yeah, I mean, you had it, the this one. They had to face off against some guru. Okay. I mean, it was a very trippy. I love them. I think they're better than the X Men myself. But it's it's another one like the Fantastic Four, and it's like four people. How do you, how do you, how do you do it right? It's yeah. a trick. But I think there's there's a chance for them. Well, there's a chance for every character. I think there's only a handful that I, I, I that I personally would not want that I wouldn't even consider writing. Could you say it out loud? The ones that you would never even touch. Um. Hawkman. Hawk <laughs> no, I, I could write the hell out of Hawkman. Um, I don't want to say it because, like, next week I'll get, like, a You'll job offer. And then I'm like, well, <laughs> here I am on record saying, yeah. uh, you know, um, I, 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 like, you know, Mary Worth or Brenda Starr, I would feel really <laughs> uncomfortable with uh, if someone decided they wanted to translate those characters from daily strips to a regular comic. 
Um, so like Lady Reporter is probably not lady your wheelhouse. Lady Reporters, yeah, yeah, yeah. But and, who knows? And Daily Strips, I, I would not do. Yeah. I, I um, was offered a job years ago, uh, ghostwriting a Daily Strip, and I tried it, and it was just it was incredibly difficult. So, I, yeah, I would think so. Yeah. That's a grind. Yeah, and it and has to be. You have to give them a cliffhanger every four yep. panels, or something. and there's and there's a rhythm to it that's really. I mean, there's a rhythm to to all writing. There's a rhythm to writing comic books. There's a rhythm to writing novels and screenplays and all of them. But that that daily comic strip, the six six dailies and then a Sunday is Ooh. like nope, can't do it. Yeah, I tried. Leave that to somebody yes, else. Yes, exactly. Well, Not that them. there's that many of them left, but yeah. Well, let's talk about the thing that you are writing, okay. because you have done the other things that you've mentioned, yeah. with films and uh, novels. All kinds of stuff, and, yeah. And all kinds of things. <laughs> uh, but right, currently, you're writing the, the comic book Cyborg. Yes. Uh, for DC Comics. Yes. Do you have, you have to say that you were always a DC guy now, right? Or is you in trouble? <laughs> the Christmas party. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be invited to the Christmas party. <laughs> That's right. So um, you're a dyed-in-the-wool DC fan. I've, I've been reading, well, like I said. You said Batman was Batman the first. Batman was the first. And, um, and with the character of Cyborg was introduced in the new Teen Titans, which debuted in 1980. And I... I I dis- I discovered that book. Um, I was introduced to that book somewhere around issue eight, and um, you know that was so that would have been eighty one ish, and like was was there for a long time. I was I was as long as uh, Marv Wolfman was writing it and George Perez was on it. I was I was there, and I even stuck around for a while after they left. And then when I went to college um, in the late eighties. I, I, I stopped reading comics as much as I had been. You know, part of it was because a cost thing, and then it was like I was too busy chasing girls, and I was too busy drinking, and things happen um, yeah. at that age for many of us where we have to walk away. <laughs> yes, and you just go okay, and and I, I happened to come back to it, but I was I was gone for almost ten years. Uh, the vast majority of the nineties, I was away from comics. But you were able to. Uh, what, what brought you back in? Um, what brought me back in was, you know, I, I love the medium. I, cons- I, I, I never stopped loving the medium. Um, and once in a while, I would, I would go into a comic book store and just sort of randomly go in. And maybe I'd buy like three or four titles. And it was always something like, oh, this looks like an interesting issue of Hulk. Or this looks like an interesting issue of Batman. Something that I, I knew. And then uh, late 90s, my friend Bob Shrek started a company called Oni Press and he gave me some of the early books that that they were publishing and amongst them was White Out which was written by Greg Rucka and drawn by Steve Weaver and like that was I read that book and I was like wow wait a minute okay this is very different than the comics when I comics when I left um which again was in the early 90s and then so shortly after that I was in a comic book store on one of these trips just like oh let me see what they have and and the guy behind the counter said you know I was talking to him I said I really don't read that much stuff you know blah 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 not that he wanted to hear the story of my life and uh, (laughs) but you told it yeah (laughs) and he goes oh you should try this comic it just came out and it was uh, the first issue of Powers by Brian Bendis and Mike Oming Mm -hmm. and like and so like that book and then White Out 
and and there was like a handful of others, but those were um, those were two of the ones that were the most influential in bringing me back into the medium. And and then as it was, or as it were, I should say, I, I went on to meet the creators of both of those books pretty shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Greg... Because they're here. Um, yes, they yeah. were. At some point, they all moved here. I met... Um, Mike was still living in New Jersey when I first met him. But yeah. Um, and And it was... You know, everybody back then, everybody's star was just starting to ascend, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't quite the superstars that they are now. So You were there at a good ground level with everybody. Uh, for two, two things that you said, though. Uh, one, uh, you um, were interested in the Teen Titans thing. Yeah. Can, do you know what was the... Was it the fact that there was a you know a strong African American character? Oh yeah, in there it? was. That was that was it. It was like I mean I remember seeing my first issue and seeing Cyborg on the cover, and you know back then as a kid, uh, there wasn't that many comics with black characters in it. There was you know X Men had Storm, and Power Man and Iron Fist was still being published, and those were two books that I was you know picking up pretty religiously. And I was like, oh, another black character. I got to start reading this. You know, that that was what I was drawn to. That was, um, you know, in the 70s, what I really missed. There was, you know, I bought, you know, and it was different then because you didn't go to the direct market. You went to the newsstand. And so you didn't always get, you know, um, like it was really interesting. Like I was thinking about this, like my, my first introduction to Luke Cage, Hero for Hire or Power Man or whatever the title was. Um, <laughs> was like an issue that I picked up on the newsstand that but my cousin picked up an issue that was like two issues before on another newsstand in New Jersey <laughs> like the week after and so we both like discovered this character right at the same time hmm. um you know and then Marvel had Black Goliath and uh DC had Black Lightning and so like those were all characters that that we you know I guess you could say we gravitated towards them um, even as a kid, there was some stuff that we were, you know, we were like, oh, okay, this isn't the, you know, it's kind of corny or something like that. It was, it was a lot like watching Good Times, which was a show that I, I hated pretty much as a kid, and I, 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 I hate it as an adult. There were some good moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I never hated Power Man and Iron Fist. I never hated Black Goliath. I never hated um, any of those, any of the comics. But there was always this moment where I was like, oh, they, it's could be better than this. It was the same thing like with watching Starsky and Hutch. We watched Starsky and Hutch every week, but we only watched it, really, to be honest, was was for Huggy Bear, was for the Antonio Fargus character. And there was there's two episodes that they did of that show that were meant to be spin-offs that Huggy Bear was supposed to get his own series and he never got it. But uh-huh. like those were the two episodes that like me and my cousins, all my friends we loved. It's like we loved. There was there was an episode of the Rockford Files. There's two with Isaac Hayes, but the second one with Isaac Hayes um, co-stars Lou Gossett Jr. and that was supposed to be a spinoff. These, you know, this was in the '70s. It was like television and comics were trying to sort of capture the that black exploitation vibe, but nobody really wanted to take a chance. So if a, if a show had a token black character on it, you know, we would we pretty much watched it. And and if there was a comic that had, 
either a token black supporting character or, you know, maybe even a lead character. We were, we were all over it back then. We were just talking about, uh, uh, not you, but an earlier conversation I had today about Spencer for Hire. Oh, yeah. And then there's a man, a man called, called Hawk. Called yeah. Hawk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You can, you can get Spencer for Hire on video, on DVD, but you can't get you a can't man get called Hawk. One. Yeah. Well, uh, and then the other thing I just want to, I don't want to lose the thread. Uh, I, mean, I just have to say this real yes. quick. Spencer. Sorry, I had to do that. I had to do my Avery Brooks. So good. It would have been great. <laughs> and then what, he went into space? Yes, then he became uh, Benjamin Sisko. Although he never stopped being a man called Hawk. He was just a man, like season one through three, he was, he was like, hey, isn't that the guy who was Hawk? And then, and then season four when he shaved his head and yeah. I think it was season four and, and grew the goatee out and you're like, oh, nope, it's Hawk in outer space. So, yeah. Even that couldn't save that particular... Yeah, no, I, I'm a fan of Deep Space Nine. I am, I am, a, a, I go to the mat for that show. All right, we're going to agree to disagree <laughs> on that one. I had a tough time, although the one after it, also problematic. Oh, Voyager was, Voyager, Voyager and Enterprise. I, I, I won't go to the mat for either of those shows. <laughs> but Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine, yeah. I think it's, you know, one thing about watching Deep Space Nine, they were in the bar scene there, the fellow with the ears, the yeah. Ferengi guy, and uh, they, they were using plastic stemware. Yeah. From Pier 1. And the only reason I know that is because I had the same thing at home. I thought, well, they just went to Pier 1 at Deep Space. It's good to know that that, that still exists. Still yeah, exists. you buy some stock in it now and it'll rise. So. But the other thing was you said comics have changed in the 10 yeah. years. So what? What uh, can you talk about what had changed? Well, you know, I, I left comics right around the time the image launched. So oh, that sure. was like 91, 92, I think. And and part of the reason I left comics was because there was just too many choices. There was too much stuff, and I, I was like, you know, I'm kind of tired of the superhero genre. Um, I remember I read Kyle Baker's graphic novel Why I Hate Saturn, and I remember thinking, there's a chance I'll never read a better comic book than this. I'll mm-hmm. never read a better graphic novel than this. And so that was like instrumental in me just sort of walking away from this thing that I loved so much. And I never again, I never walked away. You know, completely 100%. And I, I would go back and I would read stuff over and over again. Um, but I was looking for something that was, you know, as I was moving into my 20s, would speak to me, you know, as someone who was in his 20s and, and then, you know, conversely, as someone who went into their 30s. And, and it was like there was just a time where it was like, you know, some of that stuff is good for escapist entertainment, but you're, you're, you know, I was like, this is just a little too juvenile for me. And then, um, and, and conversely, I didn't want to necessarily read, you know, whatever adult comics were out there because a lot of adult comics are just like, it's, you know, it's like, you know, strippers in space or something like that. It's, it's like, um, like I hit a point where like, oh, I don't need to look at comics with, you know, women with their boobs hanging out or whatever. Um, and so again, it was just sort of the right time and place where, um, you know, the, the medium that I love, which is comics, uh, there were some publishers and there's always been publishers that were taking chances outside of the genre. And when I say the genre, I mean the superhero genre. Um, but, I, you know, I remember being like maybe 13 years old and getting my first issue of American Flag by Howard Chaikin and just going like, like, what? 
like you can do this in comics right. and and just and again it wasn't superhero stuff but it, it had some of the same trappings and stylings and and I I bought it only because I knew Howard Chaykin's work um, and I was as a kid probably by the time I was like ten I was you know one of those kids that would open up a comic look to see who wrote it look to see who drew it mostly who drew it and right. if, if there was there was a couple key people if they had drawn it like I bought it didn't matter right. so. Um, but yeah, that that so what brought me back was the fact that there were some writers who you know, and and the thing is, we're all around the same age, and so I and we all grew up reading the same comics, and I think that a lot of these guys, again, you know, like a guy like Ed Brubaker or Greg Rucka or you know Matt Fraction, Brian Bendis, all these guys were like, oh, what can I do with this medium that is missing, you yeah. know, and and um, or or how can I, you know bring something, you know, reinvigorated or something. And, and for me, it felt really reinvigorated. And and then that got me wanting to do comics again, because that was a thing I'd wanted to do for many, many years. And then I was like, you know, I just, I don't know if this is the right thing for me. And I got a career that worked out. and um, So I just, I got away from it. But now as I'm middle-aged, <laughs> having You're a midlife crisis. Yeah. I, it was, I didn't run out and buy a sports car. I ran out and got a job writing comics. And so Cyborg, though, yeah. this this uh, fella, Vic, Vic Stone, Stone yeah. uh, some kind of unfortunate accident where his father then rebuilds, rebuilds him. Yep. And it's, he it's becomes... A basically a $6 million man, except it's his father that rebuilds him. Yeah, and, and they uh, have a difficult relationship. They have a very difficult relationship. And uh, he's, kind of an, he's kind of an odd character yeah though uh the big guy over there dc one of the big guys jeff johns yeah. <laughs> uh, is a big fan of his yeah adding him to justice league so it's kind of raised his profile but what was the appeal i mean you said you had this attachment to the character so did they say who do you want to write and uh, you get to say well i've always liked cyborg or is it some some other calculus involved when when dc first approached me about writing for them they um they threw out like a handful of characters, but Cyborg was one of them, and and that was one where I was like, yeah, that would be cool, but yeah, I don't know if I've got the best idea, you know. And they they said, well, you know, we really are interested in people thinking outside the box, and um, and so I, I put together a Cyborg pitch and I put together a Green Arrow pitch because Green Arrow is one of the ones they had they had approached me about, and that was the one I really wanted, like I, I wanted my, I wanted like. I wanted Cyborg, but I thought there was no way they were going to let me do the things that I wanted to do with Cyborg. But I was like, Green Arrow, they'll let me do. They'll, they'll let me do this stuff. Well, apparently, my Green Arrow ideas, either they were terrible or they were too far outside the box. Um, well, they've got a show that they've yeah, got to exactly. now. Um, but Cyborg was one that, like, they liked it. And then we just, we started going from there. And, and you know, and for me, the, 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 the attraction with Cyborg was... Um, was was really Vic Stone was was the guy who is the cyborg, and um, you know he's been around for you know thirty five years now, and it's like but he's always been a, a member of a team. He's yeah. always been you know in his earliest incarnations he was a member of the New Teen Titans, and then when DC relaunched with the New Fifty Two he was a member of the Justice League. But that's been his existence for thirty five years, and. Um, you know, when you have a character like that who's had, you know, a couple issues that were, like, focused on him or, you know, a couple miniseries here and there, you know, you, you, 
there's there might be some interesting stuff, but like that character doesn't have a world yet. They don't have, um, you know, like a, you, whatever you want to call it, like a, a, a canon or necessarily a definitive story that makes you go, oh, okay, this is that character. Um, you know, when I think of Daredevil, especially as a you know a kid growing up, it's like that Frank Miller run where they introduced Elektra. That's like the definitive Daredevil stuff. There's so much rich material in there. Um, and like we're seeing some of that in the TV show now, but there's other characters, Marvel and DC both have them that, you know, have never had their own books. And as a consequence, you know, they're, they're it's like fertile ground. There's like, there's a lot to be, um, there's a lot, a lot of fruit growing on the tree. Yeah, do I, I don't know. I'm, mess, I'm messing up my metaphors. Yeah, so yeah. It's almost a blank. Slate, other yeah. than the fact that you know the origin and he had this experience with other people, but yeah. which may or may not still be <laughs> exactly part of the actual thing, but to actually give them the defining story, yeah, and that's what you're you're doing with this one. That's what I'm trying to do, yes, most but, definitely. And uh, Cyborg, yeah. historically, uh, as you said, was part of the new Teen Titans, yeah. which uh, is kind of like the new Main Street Singers, <laughs> a part of this, thing. and uh, with the Teen Titans originally were sidekicks, yeah, and uh, I think all white. Yep. Right? You got Aqualad, you got uh, Wonder Girl, you got your Robin. Robin, How the they... original, yeah. Speedy, I think, became Speedy one. Yeah. before the drug problem, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so they, uh, uh, I don't know how they got any of their own work done, because yeah. they were also sidekicking. Yes. And then they had this whole adventure. They had terrible grades, is what I'm going to say, because <laughs> they never had any chance for their schoolwork. But then they did some kind of, I don't know if it was an articulated diversity push. Yeah, in 1980, but they 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 said, well, these we're going to graduate them up. A lot of DC. I just want to explain for people that might not follow this stuff as closely. Uh, uh, there's a lot of legacy within yeah. there. So the Robin becomes Nightwing, yeah. and there's another Robin. They're being groomed to be this or that. So they threw that kind of stuff out, or they moved them on to whatever their next incarnation was, and they brought the new kids in. Yeah, and uh, the the kind of funny thing about that, if you're really addressing diversity. They brought in an orange lady yeah. with, I think, her hair is on fire. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, just really big 80s style hair. Yeah. Her name is Coriander. Yeah. <laughs> you might as well just name somebody, you know, uh, cardamom. Or, or cinnamon, yeah. From the planet Tikka Masala. <laughs> so they, they got this lady. Then they got a green kid that could, get, could become animals. Yep. And uh, a witch. A witch. Very brooding. Who had a sem- semi-Asian look about her. Very... Um, uh, in Did Southeast she? Asian, like maybe she came from some like she had Tibetan a, a monastery. Goth, yeah, I think yeah. That's yeah. It. Oh, that was it. Oh, okay, I that think that's it. what you think because otherwise yeah. it's just she's a goth. Yeah. Well, yeah, but before they were goths, so. <laughs> right, right. Well, she inspired a wave. <laughs> but that that's a kind of a funny way to introduce diversity, don't you think? Yeah, but I I think that you know over at Marvel they had with the X Men uh, a few years earlier had had brought in the new X Men. And <laughs> we fall for yes, it every yeah. time, don't we? And, and the oh. new X Men had, you know, it was it was pretty short lived. But at one point they had, you know, the Japanese guy, um, Sunfire. Sun they had the Native American who was very short lived in, in <laughs> one, that, this, uh, one episode, yeah. one uh, halfway through the issue, right? Two, no, he was in Giant Size Number One, oh, okay. ninety four, and made, then they killed him in ninety five. Okay. Um, uh, I, John Proudstar, Thunderbird, or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, then they had the German guy who looked like a demon. Right. Um, He's very religious. Yeah. They had the the African woman, uh, and so so there was already like 
some of that going on. And I think that um, it was also, there were, there were creators, you, you look to the early part of the 70s, like, like Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams when they did their famous uh, Green Lantern, uh, Green Arrow book. That, That's that, the one they, they paired them up to yeah. then take on urban issues. Yes. Uh, so they were fighting uh, heroin addiction. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Whatever was going on yeah. in the cities. Exactly. <laughs> At that um, time, they sent in Green Lantern yeah. and Green Arrow, yeah. a space cop and an archer, yeah. kind of a Robin Hood, <laughs> to clean it up. Yep. <laughs> and and so you had the, all these, and, and they were bringing in their other characters. They were bringing in. You know, uh, DC had Black Lightning, and then on the the show Super Friends, they had they had Black Vulcan, and they had Apache Chief, and but, so but, but Black Vulcan, though, <laughs> yes, I know, take him, he is Black Lightning. He's he's essentially Black Lightning. But what happened? It, they had a deal there. They couldn't. I, you know, to be hundred percent honest with you, I don't know because I keep asking DC, hey, what's with these characters? I, yeah. I want to do something with them. Um, but uh, yeah, Black Vulcan becomes altered slightly he becomes black lightning but i you know um so yeah you, you, you it was there it was you saw that happening and i think what was interesting was that you know um this is all happening in the 70s on into the 80s and that was just such a changing um the the, the cultural landscape was changing throughout the country and there was a lot of like busing going on so that um, kids from the inner city, a lot of black and Latino kids from the inner city would be bused to um, predominantly white neighborhoods where they would go to school. Um, a lot of schools that had been segregated were being desegregated. I mean, um, when the Supreme Court uh, ruled that segregation, that schools had to be desegregated, they the ruling said with all deliberate speed, and this was in the 60s, there were certain states like uh, in Virginia, they did not desegregate their schools to like 1975 or 76. We'd have to look to get we'll those check states. the archive yeah. on that. Um, <laughs> but so, so this is this was what was going on, and, and you saw it um, not just on a show like Super Friends, but there was all these weird cartoons that were popping up in the 70s and early part of the 80s. Oh, and, yeah. Where there was like all yeah. of a sudden, like there was like the equivalent to a Scooby Doo show. But there was a black guy on it, or a black girl, and you know there was. I mean, there was a show called um, "You'd Only Get Away with This" in the seventies. It was uh, Chan and the Amazing Chan Clan, oh, yeah. which was you know the Charlie Chan one. But then there was like uh, you know Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels, and they had like I, I think it was a white girl, a black girl, and an Asian girl, or something like that. It, it was weird, but yeah, um, and a weird caveman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> like, they must have been taking some serious dope at What's Anna Barbera. On, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You always had to, he was kind of like Bobcat Goldwaith. <laughs> a little bit, that guy. He had a magical uh, yeah. stick. Yeah, it, it was a club. But now, uh, I, it occurred to me, uh, thinking about this, well, one, okay. Let, let's back up and just look at the visuals of Cyborg. Yeah. Because as he was presented, for, for instance, I think in the Super Friends cartoon, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, even in the comics, he had kind of a, a white, like the robot part of him was white. It was like a, a silver. White, silver. So I, I'd say silver more, on, yeah. On TV, yeah. it was very, yeah. very white. So he looked more like the Michelin Man on TV, I guess. <laughs> Michelin Man-ish. Yeah. But uh, it, it just racially... Is what's going what's going on? It's kind of a funny. Yeah, I don't. I never you only get I, half of the 
I never even thought about that. I just assumed it was silver or metallic or something. So now I got to go back and, and reconsider all of it. Now, now I know it's, it, as I'm working on, it's clearly metallic. It's, yeah. um, no, he is. Yeah, and yeah. by the way, yeah. whoever decided to get rid of that gear thing on his front, <laughs> somebody gave him a logo. It was, I thought like it was. Like a C yeah. and a gear. Come on. I, I, like I'm not going to comment cycle. on that. I thought it was a little <laughs> odd because because the thing is, is that that's not a costume he's wearing. That's who he is. Right. Um, and so there was, you know, there was some discussion about that. And, and there's still ongoing discussion because most quote unquote superheroes have an alter ego, even though nowadays it's, it's pretty popular to to out them in some capacity, oh. um, you know, but, but Superman still has Clark Kent, um, Batman has Bruce Wayne, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, all of these characters have that. There's, there's, but the cyborg and Vic Stone never had that delineation between the two. And he's never had a secret identity he had to keep or, or a great secret that, you know, nobody can find out. Um, and, and again, that's, I think part of that is simply because, He's been a, a you know a supporting character for thirty five years, so that's um, that was one of the things that you know needed to be I felt needed to be taken into consideration. And there was like at one point I said I said you know he's walking around naked all the time, right? And they were like, no, he's he's got his his you know metallic stuff on. I was like, yeah, but he can't take that off. That's right. like that's in lieu of his his limbs and his skin. Technically, this guy's naked, you know, wouldn't, and, you know, and so I was asking, you know, how does he feel about that? This, these are questions I was asking myself. Why? Because, you know, when you look at some of the early um, stuff from the 80s, the early Teen Titans books, he, he wears clothes when he's not in action. Like when he's, <laughs> right. it, you know, it's just, he rips his clothes off. So it's like still that, that, um, I mean, that was back in the 70s when every, 70s and 80s when, all superheroes had clothes that they just tore off in the middle of the street when they went to go save somebody. If you were in the market for a torn shirt, yeah, boy, you could get one in any uh, telephone booth. Exactly, pretty much, or alley for that matter, <laughs> right. back of a cab. Yeah. So, <laughs> but also with that emblem, I don't need mean to yeah. dwell on this too much, but that makes him part of the team. It yeah. kind of like unified him within the team and not as an individual. Exactly. Exactly. But so. even Robot Man, they gave him little shorts. Yeah. 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 So he's the same deal, right? <laughs> he's just a brain in a case. <laughs> but uh, well, one of the things too with with DC versus Marvel, yeah. it seems to me the characters who are black characters in the Marvel universe come more from a they're more headstrong, more passion filled, mm-hmm. more even in touch with black exploitation yeah. uh, uh, roots. Um, not the miniseries, but yeah. the, <laughs> they're more attached, coming from that place. Whereas a lot of the DC characters, they're uh, brainy, uh, yeah. intellectuals. Um, Middle class. They could be yeah, any uh, anything else. Whereas, at least within this sort of cultural framework, they it, it's just a, a difference that I notice that there's a, this, this kind of different drive between the two. <laughs> there's of them. they uh, they exist on opposite ends of this sort of racial spectrum, um, and and there's not much middle ground. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. If if you remove say like any characters of African descent from it, from what we're talking about, just for the sake of the conversation. So you remove Black Panther and you remove Storm um, because they're the, the two most prominent. Um, but yeah, you have this sort of, these street characters um, in in the Marvel universe. And then, yeah, the DC universe, like Black Lightning was 
uh, like a high school teacher or something like that, or a guidance counselor, and you know, later became like a senator. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Cyborg is like, you know, Vic Stone is like an all American high school athlete bound for college. He's actually a genius. Um, his you know, dad's famously uh, yeah, yeah, a scientist. scientist. His mom is a scientist too. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mr. Terrific, another character who's like. His name is Mr. Terrific. He's the third smartest man in the world. I don't, I don't know what the metric was for measuring <laughs> that. Smartest. But yeah. I love that fact. And they mention it every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> As if he has nothing else going on. Yeah. He's got to constantly be the third best. Yeah. Who's the first is Batman? Uh, I don't know. That he, no, Batman couldn't be the... He's up there. They put him up there. Isn't, like, Brainiac the smartest of, like... I mean, are, are they comparing... Alien. Yeah, but uh, that's true, so... Um, I don't know who the smartest man in the DC universe is. Someone will let us know, <laughs> let us know. very shortly. But even sure. so, I don't want to be the third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's fine. I'd be the third anything. I, That'd be great. I knew a guy in college who was the world's third leading expert on the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> and this true story. And we nobody liked this guy. And we would all wonder, like, is there a quiz? Yeah. Like, do you have to take a test? Is there a chance? Or do you just have to wait for somebody to die for you to move <laughs> up to number two or number one? And is that your opening line, like, at a bar? Like, hey, right. I'm the third, the world's third leading expert on, on the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> well, with, uh, with Cyborg, and I have been reading it, I, I enjoy it, and I think you've actually taken it back to something that happened in his origin where there's some interdimensional threat. Uh, going on, yep. I gather that that is that was somehow involved with his mother. Um, uh, that's I like that yep. element of connecting it both because if you're nerdy, yeah. <laughs> which we are, there would you, you get a little satisfaction knowing that it's taking it back to that point. But it also broadens him out to uh, uh, dealing with these threats from beyond the universe. Yeah, it's it was multiverse. It, I get confused. Whatever <laughs> universe, shape it's multiverse, in now. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it may change by the time the final issue comes, or not the final issue, but by the time this particular story arc is over. Well, um, that's what I also want to ask you: is how far out do you plan? Because I, 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 I'm not familiar with the. Um, I've got I've got a plan out to issue twelve, uh, and I've turned in the first six issues. Now we're in the process of of discussing exactly what's going to happen in issues 7 through 12 and, mm-hmm. and, and how those will be presented. Uh, issues 1 through 6 are, are one big story. And one of the things that I, I'm interested in doing in issues 7 through 12 is, is is potentially doing two stories within there. So each one would be three issues as opposed to uh, one six-issue story. So yeah. we're talking about that. Um, and still just trying to figure it out because there's there's a lot of stuff... That's going to happen in the first six issues that, you know, um, will give me the freedom to take the story in multiple directions. And so there's like a long list of things that I I want to do, but, you know, some of it has to be approved. You know, you have to, you know, go to D.C. Hey, I'd, I'd like to do this. Like, I can't suddenly have Cyborg become whatever, you know, like... The, the king of Atlantis, you know. I, don't do that. <laughs> not that that's on my list of things to do, but, you don't know, but that. if I wanted to, I would have to go, you know, hey, I want to make him the king of Atlantis. Is, is this possible? And then, you know, they 
they ask whoever, there's like, you know, I'm sure it's like a cabal of people sitting, you know, in a dark room with a single light source and they're all DC or Warner Brothers executives and they, you know, they go, hmm, can we do this? What are we doing with Atlantis right now? And then someone says, oh, no, Atlantis. Yeah, so. Right, um, we've got an animated project. Yeah, or exactly. Got going on with it. Well, I haven't talked to that many uh, comics writers mm -hmm. uh, before, but I've known and spoken to uh, comics creators who draw their own material. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Dan Klaus and Chris Ware, Art Spiegelman, that kind of a scene. Uh, Jessica Abel, that uh, independent. Mm -hmm. yeah, really. oh, yeah, yeah. Um, how strange is it to write something and then see somebody else draw and, and bring to life the thing that you're... I mean, I know by now yeah. it's part and parcel of what you do, but I, I would find it's, it very it's, it's weird. Honestly, it's one of the coolest things in the world, when, especially when, um, you know, the other day there was some art. I got an a email with, with some pages, and, and it's like, I wrote this, but there isn't even any words on the page yet. It's, it's these ideas, it's these concepts that have been translated visually, and to me, that's... It's it's pretty cool when when that when that dynamic works well and yeah. and I've been really really fortunate at this point in my career which you know has spanned actually a lot more time than people realize um, but I've been really fortunate in that the vast majority of the time like every single page turns out the way I wanted it to but better and and Ivan who's drawing Cyborg right now adds these little things or, or changes these little things. Nothing major, but it just brings more to it. And and there's some stuff that's um I think, you know, might be just you know, he's Brazilian, so the scripts um are translated to Portuguese. And so mm -hmm. I, I write them very sparingly. Uh there's been like two or three occasions where something was just different enough that I, I think to myself, oh, was um was this something that just got lost in the translation? Because there was, like in issue two, this there's one panel in particular that people just loved. They went nuts over. And it's a panel of, of Vic, of Cyborg, and he's wearing a T-shirt, and on the T-shirt is the character Black Vulcan oh, from right. Super Friends. <laughs> and, and originally, it was supposed to be one of the people in the picture with him that was wearing that t-shirt <laughs> and so i don't know if it was like lost in translation or if if ivan was just like no i'm gonna put this t-shirt on vic instead but people went nuts over it and i was like you know so i have to admit that it, that, that wasn't sometimes it works out. yeah and 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 you know and there's a couple other things too like there's um there you know it's it's just these little tiny moments. Some, sometimes, you know, there, there'll be a page where I've written it and there's five panels or maybe four panels. And, and you know, someone like Ivan will go, will, will figure out a way to tell it either in more panels or less panels. And, you know, they, they've all, every artist I've ever worked with has let me know before they do it. Um, but I've never disagreed with somebody for, for the decision they've made. I've never disagreed with an artist that... You know, oh, you know, when they say to me, you know, this, you've got this as, as seven panels, I could do this in five. Because, like, each panel takes a lot of work. And, right. and um, you know, you think about that. If, if you write a panel that is a, a page that has six panels to a page, um, and, and your artist can figure out a way to remove one of those panels 
from every page of your book, that's more than a full page of stuff that they don't have to draw. And, you know, you don't want to burn your artist out. You don't want them to, you know, resent you. And, 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 and you, you don't want them to do a, a terrible job just because um, they're either burned out or they resent you. Sure. So. Well, and well, he's doing great. Yeah. yeah and yeah. you've also been fortunate with Shaft, the comic book. Yeah. I mean, that book. Yeah. They both look beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Shaft is also a good-looking book and really brings that uh, time period to yeah. life. Yeah, she's amazing, especially given the fact that uh, Bilkis is like 24 or something like that. Wasn't even born yet. Um, <laughs> it wasn't even born in the 70s. And, and with that book, there was a lot of me um, just going through the Internet and finding reference picture after reference picture. So I think there was like, um, you know... There in issue issue three maybe where there's a van and I was like okay there was a van and a dump truck and I like <laughs> actually found like late sixties models vans and dump trucks just just in case you know <laughs> like she didn't want to look that hard and and drew like you know a modern looking dump truck so um, yeah no, I, it's it's reminded me that as a, as a young man I went to. Um, a very early comic book convention in Philadelphia. Okay. And at that point, cosplay was just one guy named Gary. Yeah. <laughs> and some Spock ears. Yes, exactly, yeah. And so he was there. And uh, But I met Ron French. Oh, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the, the Spider-Man artist. Spider-Man yeah. artist. He also did Thor. And, yeah. number, and I was talking to him. He gave me a nice uh, drawing of, uh, I mean, I paid the guy for it, but a nice drawing of Black Canary and Green okay. Arrow, which is fantastic. But he said, if you want to be a comics artist, you got to learn how to draw a washer and dryer. Ah, because so. <laughs> there's so many things in the background that yeah. you have to fill in to make it actual, uh, to, to really ground it. Yeah. That uh, I thought that was sound advice. <laughs> I had a, uh, I went to, briefly went to art school trying to be a comic book artist. I, I failed miserably. But there was um, one of the instructors, uh, a man named Jose Delbo, drew like a lot of issues of Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen in the 70s sure um, he would tell us that you have to know how to draw a horse yeah that was the thing he said because he said because someday the western is going to make a comeback and <laughs> but then he also went on to explain that if you can draw a horse you can draw just about any other animal four-legged animal because it's you know it's just a question of exaggerating certain elements um, yeah, sure. But, but he said, "What's a cat but a shorter horse?" Exactly. Or what's? But he, but he was like, "But when the western makes a comeback, you don't want your horses to look like dogs." That's yeah. what he used to say. So uh, that stuck with me, and I, I couldn't draw a horse to save my life. So that was part of the reason I, I took quit. that as an early hint. Yeah, early hint to get out. Were you creating things as a, as a young man? I was. I was doing a lot of um, cartooning and drawing stuff. But um, you still drawing now. I sketch and doodle a little bit, and, and sometimes if I'm having trouble figuring out how to make a, a page work or um, a scene, I will uh, sort of sketch it out, like usually with just stick figures, but, but try to put something on paper to make sure that it actually can be done. Um, because there, there's a lot of writers, especially newer writers, will make the mistake of like, you know, they'll put like 15 panels to a page. It's like, first off, that's too many, um, and and that's really difficult. Right. And and um, you know, nine is is really about the most you want to do. That's what Dave Gibbons did in Watchmen, and it was it was a very strict um, template that he adhered to. And but nine is a lot for a lot of people to draw. And 
but there's an issue of Cyborg coming up where there's nine panels on, on the page. And I needed to make sure that what I wanted to do could be done in those nine panels. Could I do it in less? How to pace it out? I did, I did something similar with Shaft, but I did that multiple times throughout Shaft where, um, you know, I, I sort of figured out just how things would flow. And I would say I probably did my own little really weird sketches for most of that first issue of Cyborg, I think I did. I, I tend to do that a lot with the first issue of anything, just so I can get that groove going. But right. no one's ever going to see those images. I mean, they're <laughs> like, yeah. Well, one nice thing about, uh, one nice thing, but there are many, about Shaft, you give a playlist at the end. Yeah. Of some great, uh, I guess, all soul and funk or... Yeah, there's or a little bit of rock, too. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah. Mostly, there's probably about as much rock as there is hip-hop. Um, and what a lot of people didn't realize when I was making that playlist, like that was Dynamite's idea. And I was like, okay, I can do that. Um, like I don't listen to music when I'm writing, but I do listen to music when I'm lettering. I don't letter very often, but I lettered uh, all six issues of Shaft. And so it was as much music that I was listening to while I was lettering the book as what I was thinking about while I was writing it. And and I will sometimes think of a song for a particular scene. Um, there's a scene in what will be issue seven of Cyborg, likely issue seven of Cyborg, that, um, that there's a very specific song that I'm going to write that scene to, that, mm. it, that to, to capture that that emotion and that feeling. Um, but yeah, so it's it's always... Are you going to reveal that? The song? Yeah. Sure, I'll be the first to I'll reveal it here. You get the exclusive. Because <laughs> no one's going to believe it. It's um, it's Shambhala by Three Dog Night. Uh-huh. And, um, and it's, someone had sent me a, a question on Twitter not that long ago um, asking me what was... It was... They asked me what were... Um, Cyborg's favorite bands and they were asking me this because they'd read the playlists in Shaft ah. and and I was like huh what what is his favorite music and I thought about it and you know and I'm trying to remember who I said now it, it was like Stevie Wonder Smokey Robinson and, and Three Dog Night I think I said were his three favorites <laughs> and and I said Three Dog Night kind of as a joke and then I was like um, thinking about like the music that we love, especially when we're kids, a lot of time is, is music that our parents listen to, or it's a song that, you know, maybe your grandmother or your mother or your father sang to you, and it has this incredible meaning, even if you might not like the group itself, or, or you might not even know any other <laughs> Like, for me, like, my mom sang me um, this Carpenter song, you know, and it's like... I don't like the Carpenters, you know, I'll, I'll go on record as saying that, but that song has this meaning to me. And so um, you'll have to wait till Cyborg issue seven. I don't know if I'll reveal why Shambhala means something to him yeah, or so not. We can let that be but, for people. But it's a great summer. song. It's a really sure. good song. So, Well, um, you know, we, we, we're, we're almost out of time, okay. but uh, I, I know you, you bring so much to every project <laughs> that you do, and, and uh, I'm glad that we had such a deep dive into this, because one of the things I'm interested in is really how people are creating characters, and with Cyborg, it seems like a very uh, great example of taking somebody who has just kind of been there and really giving him a life, 
Yeah. And sometimes that'll be informed by, I mean, we'll be informed by you and how you view that character. But really creating somebody, I don't know anything about creating characters. So I'm talking to people <laughs> who are doing this and it's, uh, it's very fascinating to me and I'm eager to see how it develops uh, with him in particular. Because um, I think it's it's related to acting in a sort of way. It's, it's you have to think you have to get inside his mind. What's his get, favorite music? What's his favorite what music? Does he do? What kind of T-shirt does yeah. he wear? Does he wear clothes? <laughs> <laughs> and all of that is yeah. That's it's it's very much getting into the mind of the character and understanding who they are. And you know, with Cyborg, um, you know, people forget how young he is. You know, in both incarnations in the Teen Titans, he was in the Teen Titans. So therefore. He was a teenager, you know, um, right. and and in the New Fifty Two, he's you know he starts out as a teenager. He's a senior in high school, so you figure he's somewhere somewhere between seventeen and nineteen. But the fact that he's got a genius level IQ, he's probably closer to seventeen. Um, and so one of the things, as I was getting into the mind of the character, I was like, you know, what was I like when I was in my late teens and my early twenties, and and I really started thinking about both the insecurities that I had at that age, but also that, like, um, the ego that I had, you know, that that, the, that level of confidence that, that you have a lot of times at that age because you don't know how little you don't know. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. and that's, that's a huge part of what I, I, I'm trying to bring to him. So, yeah. Well, one of the things that stood out for me in, in your book, Becoming Black, yeah. and I should say you have a whole website, Badass Mofo. Yeah or maybe I'm going through that too quickly, <laughs> but uh, that chronicles you so many uh, avenues of investigation through black exploitation, and uh, I love the series of what this T-shirt means to me. You yeah, talk about I, need the to, t-shirt I need to get for, back into that. For yeah. Vivi. I guess you have tons of T-shirts, and each one has a story. I love that as a mechanism <laughs> for storytelling. And one of the things, though, in this in Becoming Black, which is a collection of essays, essays yeah. uh, on the kind of black experience, your experience. My experience and, and the intersectionality between racial ideology and popular culture in America. And one of the things that stood out for me is because I was a very uh, close friend growing up, and you said no matter, uh, you knew it was a, a, a black household if you saw Ebony and Jet. <laughs> and there's two magazines. And that I remember first encountering these, just saying, well, there, there's this whole world. Like, yeah. Everybody has their thing, and, and there's not just one culture. No, there's not. There's not. And, and I, I feel like I, what I'd like to see for Vic is a copy of Ebony or Jet <laughs> lying around. There you <laughs> go. There, two, well, there, on the there, no, two on the nose. I don't know. There would be one as he was a kid growing up. So there might maybe be some flashback. Like, yeah, something like that. That's not a bad idea. So. Or maybe if he does any podcast interviews, um, <laughs> you see me now. You can kind of translate that into Portuguese. There you go. See what happens. <laughs> The only other pitch I'll give you is that I think Martian Manhunter should be uh, black. Interesting. Is there a particular reason why? Other than in the animated stuff, Carl Lumbly did his voice most often. It might be that. Okay. <laughs> but I always felt like, why, why not? There's a perfect example. He could be John Jones, yeah, detective in the 60s, yeah. as the forces are being integrated. It would have to take place then. It could. Yeah, that's, a, that's a pretty interesting crime. concept. I have a, um, a character... In my novel that I've written, um, Darius Logan, Super Justice Force, The Adventures of Darius Logan, I introduce a character very briefly who's an alien from another planet um, in another solar system who um, is very insect-like, but they're very intelligent. 
and he's chosen his earth name and his earth name is Magic Bronson because his two favorite humans are Magic Johnson and Charles Bronson and uh and and I thought like what would it be like if somebody was like looking at earth culture especially american earth culture in the 70s and 80s and I was like yeah this and he talks like Yoda so um <laughs> that's the perfect combination yeah, of everything yeah, yeah. so Magic Bronson so yeah I can see that John John's being a um uh, a black guy that would be interesting Why not? yeah well, i mean it, it it is it's very it it reminds me of john sales film brother from another planet which yeah. is you know such an, a, an amazing film one of my favorite movies of all time and it just it's you know okay an alien visitor from another planet comes to earth and he happens to be a black guy and it's it's that's something we don't see that often in films, you know, it's like whenever the aliens come and they assume the identity of human beings, it's always white American human beings, and and they usually end up impersonating the president. Yes, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, um, or they become killer trees, that, like in the day of the Triffids or something. But, yes. um, yeah, so there's no reason why why we can't do something like that, and it doesn't require thinking that much outside the box. And, and the argument that I always get into as we wrap it up is when people say, you know, it's really easy to dismiss that, an idea like that, and say, you know, whatever, oh, well, the readers wouldn't buy into it, da 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 And then what I have to explain is that readers, if readers won't buy into it, it's because they're buying into something else. And that something else is an ideological construct of racial superiority and racial inferiority. And that's what we're trying to destroy here. And so how do we destroy it? We destroy it with these characters, with these stories, with these things that um, give humanity back to groups of people who have been deprived of it, both on a cultural level, you know, historically cultural level, and then in the you know, um, in their, their portrayals in pop culture. So, yeah, why not? You know, I mean, I'm one of those people who's, I don't have a problem if, you know, um, if, if, if James Bond is cast as a black actor and people come back and go, well, how would you feel if Shaft was a white actor? And I was like, if it was a good enough white actor, I'd be cool with it, you know? So there you go. But that, that's a conversation for another time because I could, I could explain why that's a stupid counter argument. But, you know, that's like people who argue about uh, they're in favor of capital punishment because someone they love might be killed someday yeah. and they'd want the killer to be put to death. It's like, yeah. Okay, stop. You you're not you're not arguing from a place of intelligence. You're arguing from a place of you need a lobotomy. That's what you need. So. <laughs> well, you bring so much intelligence and heart and real uh, life to all of the characters that you, you're putting out in the world, and I really appreciate that. Thank you. And, very uh, much. I'm glad we got a chance to talk today. You got uh, you got something else coming up. You're excited about? I do. I, I it's and it's nothing that I can talk about. Okay. It's, um, All right. If if you're a fan of comic books or that world, pay attention to the New York City Comic Con in October. Uh, there'll be some announcements there. There'll be some big industry announcements there, and and there's going to be at least two projects that I'm working on that will be announced there. Maybe three. Wow. Um, and so yeah, I'm I'm pretty busy. I feel a lot of times my life feels like. Um, John Ritter in Three's Company, just sort of you know jumping from room to room and trying to balance you know Chrissy and Janet and then my date in the other room and then all of a sudden Mr. Furley comes in and it's all going to fall apart. I'll tell you something: the key to the, the key to unraveling that is just good communication. 
Oh, yes. There's a lot of just simple things that were mis- misheard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> drove a lot of those plots. Exactly. So if it's communication being a metaphor for just better scheduling. That's what I need to do. <laughs> there so. you go. Well, uh, uh, it's been great talking to you, and we'll stay tuned for Comic-Con All right. and see what happens, and we'll uh, continue to follow along as... Uh, all of the things that you're putting out in the world and, and by all means we'll put the link up on the site and go uh, read up more on uh, you David I'm talking to the listener <laughs> now but you know you could go to your site and read up I on can, you if you want or I can just refresher. update the site it's a little <laughs> hasn't been updated in a while so. well you've got some things going on <laughs> so this is great thank you for being here thank you very much alright what did I tell you it was thorough <laughs> how about that Thanks to David Walker for coming out and being just such a great guy. Now look look for Cyborg or any of David Walker's titles at your comic book shop. Or check out his website for a detailed look at all the t-shirts he's ever worn. <laughs> That's quite a thing. I wish we could have gotten more into the t-shirt thing. It's just astounding. Every t-shirt tells a story. Huh? How about that? Well, uh, uh, there you have it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy this program, consider becoming a patron over at our Patreon site, Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Dell Radio for as little as a dollar a month. You can ensure that we bring back the live shows, help us with some new video projects. Well, Dale, what are you talking about? I can't wait to see more of that. Well, you will. And you'll keep the quality of this program high. Check it out over at Patreon.com. Uh, we'll be back next week. Till then, I'm trying to apply robotics to my broken heart in hopes I can teach it to love again. But probably I'll just empty another bottle of whiskey. Now let's get back to that great music that we all enjoy. Dale Radio is written and performed by James Bewley, musical director Steve O'Reilly. Season theme composed and performed by Shockwave. Podcast icon for season eight designed by Jenny Fine. Listen to Dale on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher Radio. And follow the program on Twitter at Dale Radio or on Instagram at Dale Seaver. If you'd like Dale to come to your local VFW or Elks Lodge, simply drop us a line at Radio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. You're the best. <laughs>